that was totally weird. Did you have a ghost in your house? No, no. I heard all this banging, and then Betty screaming, yelling at Buffy. And God, you're not convincing me. I, my premise was wrong. <laughs> all this banging, and my dog was barking at nothing. <laughs> Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joseph Tarowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we're talking about Davis and several other characters from the sitcom Corner Gas. And this is a request from patrons Joe and Kay. That would be my parents who asked us to talk about this and who support the podcast. <laughs> uh, how are things? Uh, things are good. I had a little stomach bug run through the family, but, you know, you just power through. So if my, I was thinking right this now. week, <laughs> I was thinking this week that if my family were a uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, like company, uh, our, we would our collective constitution would be incredibly low. <laughs> like it's like, we have just been sick forever, and my wife has it right now, um, and she is uh, like in bed. We, I don't even see her hardly in the day. Uh, for three days now, and uh, so I've been doing double duty, and it is a lot of work. Yeah, if um, my family was added to your Dungeons and Dragons group, we would not be helping your constitution. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, uh, all right, Cor- Corner Gas. Yes, this was a Canadian TV show, and it ran for six seasons from 2004 to 2009, and we are specifically going to be focusing on the pilot of the series, which was called Ruby Reborn, which was written by Brent Butt and Mark Farrell, and it was directed by David Story, and that originally aired January 22nd, 2004, and we're also talking about the episode Good Tubbin, which was written by Rob <laughs> DeLint, <laughs> and Todd, please, we're not there yet. <laughs> it's just, it's exactly what I thought it would be about. <laughs> I'm so glad. Uh, Good Tubbin was written by Rob DeLint and directed by Kevin White, and it originally aired November 24th, 2008. If you are unfamiliar with the show, I would say it's a tonal blend of Seinfeld, kind of a show about nothing, just the daily life of a bunch of intersecting characters, and Scrubs, where you get all these weird cuts to what's going on in characters' heads that, you know, in order to tell a joke, you might have a random cut, jump cut to another scene, and then you jump back to the action. Um, in the episode Ruby Reborn, we meet Lacey Burroughs, who is moving to Toronto, uh, from Toronto to the small town of Dog River, Saskatchewan, to take over running her late aunt's coffee shop, which is attached to the town's gas station. And by small town, I mean very small town. Uh, and the, that gas station called Corner Gas is the only gas station for many miles along the highway. She meets the quirky inhabitants of Dog River. And then in Good Tubbin, there are three storylines. Lacey is invited to a hot tub party with Oscar and Emma. Davis is excited to don the suit of Safety Pete, the town's new safety mascot. <laughs> I can't I can't say that it were Safety Pete without laughing. My... I love Safety Pete. <laughs> and then uh, Brent tries to figure out where Hank is staying after Hank's house is damaged. I'm just going to say that until we get to the long summary. Um, I think we're going to talk a lot about Davis uh, because he is Safety Pete, and Safety Pete is one of the highlights. Well, he's half Safety Pete. We'll get to that. Uh, but because there are eight main characters who are actually featured in a very incredibly balanced way in every episode, here are the main cast and who played them. And this is just going to help everyone kind of 
uh, understand where we're coming from. Brent Leroy is the owner of the gas station, and he is played by Brent Butt. Lacey Burroughs is the owner of the coffee shop, and she's played by Gabrielle Miller. So you have Brent and Lacey. Uh, Hank Yarbo, and Hank is Brent's best friend and is generally unemployed. And he is played by Fred Iwanuik. Iwanuik. I think I that's know. pretty good. Okay, we'll take that as the pronunciation of a very difficult to pronounce last name. <laughs> he is a really good actor. I really like him. <laughs> He's so good. So we have Brent, Lacey, and Hank. And then there's also Wanda Dollard, who works at Corner Gas, and she is incredibly smart. She is played by Nancy Robertson. And so those are the, like, you've got the little, uh, those four. Hey, uh, Brent and Lacey own the gas station and the coffee shop. Hank's his best friend. Wanda also works at the gas station. Then Oscar is Brent's dad and a classic grouchy, crotchety, stubborn old man. He is played by Eric Peterson. Emma Leroy is Brent's mom, and she is simultaneously intimidating and put upon. It's a wonderful balance that she manages to have. <laughs> and she is played by Janet Wright. And then there are the two cops in the town. Davis Quinton is the senior police officer, and he's played by Lauren Cardinal. And Karen Pelly is the town's junior police officer, and she is played by Tara, uh, Tara Spencer Nairn. Uh, so it's a 22-minute sitcom, and all eight of those characters are well-represented in every single episode. I don't know how the writers managed to do it. Uh, lots of cutting from one thing to the next, and then yes, back, and then back. That is true. And back and forth. <laughs> So, so how, how did, did you, you uh, how did you come to this? Uh, back when I was at grad school in Michigan, I had a regular dinner group which started around Lost. It was called Lost Night, where we would rotate who made dinner and we'd watch the newest episode of Lost and talk about it. And then we started adding Doctor Who episodes after Lost, so it became Lost <laughs> and Doctor Who. Uh, then Lost ended and it became Lost and Doctor or uh, it became Doctor Who. And Battlestar Galactica, but we thought Battlestar Galactica was a little bit dark sometimes to end the night on. <laughs> kind of somber show. <laughs> and so we wanted a sitcom dad after it. And I think it was my parents had recommended Corner Gas to us, and they actually mailed us their copies of the DVDs so that we could have a new sitcom to watch after Battlestar Galactica. And so our dinner group uh, enjoyed a couple dramas and then a sitcom episode. How did your parents come to Corner Gas? I, believe, I can tell that story. Oh, is it my brother Adam? Yes, it was it? our our brother Adam in Texas uh, with his family had been watching it. And I think they bought the first two seasons for our parents for an anniversary gift or for my dad's birthday yeah. or something like that because they had been really enjoying it. Uh, and this is probably while I was still in high school um, and it became part of the semi-regular nightly viewing. There'd be, you know, an episode or two before settling into bed. Um, so Shutting I down think, the house. <laughs> I think my brother discovered it, or his wife discovered it, just when it was airing on WGN. Did this air in the United States? It aired on WGN uh, in syndication. But in the trivia, I'll mention, uh, the syndication caught okay. up and actually aired kind of simultaneously for a little bit, which is really rare for syndicated shows. Hmm. So I, uh, I had never heard of Corner Gas. Um, and, uh, and I watched it today. And I loved it. It's very, very funny. I want to say, like, I'm surprised that I never heard of it. But if it's not from the United States and it didn't really air on TV in a, you know, normal fashion, then I guess I'm not surprised. But as we found uh, when we were trying to prepare for this episode, it's not available on any of the traditional streaming services. Um, No. But you can order... Only the most traditional of streaming services. (laughs) 
you can order the DVDs uh, if the show is interesting to you. And this is one of those um, properties or, or stories where if you are unfamiliar with it, I just really recommend you go and expose yourself to Corner Gas. <laughs> um, the, uh, some of our listeners have said that they, you know, they're not always familiar with everything that we talk about. I mean, we're not always familiar before we have to prepare for the episodes <laughs> with, with all the media that we're, we're going to talk about when we've, you know, we're on episode 115. We've talked about a lot of different media and some say they kind of use it as, you know, oh, that sounds really good. I might want to go sample that. You should go sample Corner Gas. Yeah. This is like good, clean fun. Yep. It is. It's hilarious. Uh, my four-year-old came in as I, after I put him down to bed, I was watching the, uh, the hot tub and episode and, uh, he came upstairs like to get a drink or something and he just stopped and watched over my shoulder and he was laughing. Was it safety? <laughs> safety Pete. He thought that was one of the funniest things he'd ever seen. <laughs> so funny. I just think about the end of that episode, and I, I crack up. Oh, man. You can order the DVDs, and we would just recommend that if you do that, that you do it through protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. You got some trivia for us? I have more trivia than I anticipated for Corner Gas. <laughs> all right. So the series was created by Brent Butt, and yes, that is his name. Uh, and he plays the character Brent Leroy in the series. So creator, uh, probably main main character in the show. Um, and interestingly, Brent Butt married Nancy Robertson, who plays Wanda in Corner Gas. They got married. After- Are you serious? Yeah. After the second season, they got married. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and so a little bit more about him. After attending but not completing college, Butt moved back home to a small town in Saskatchewan, and he worked as a drywaller. He and a friend started up a publishing company and produced two issues of a comic book before they ran out of money. And then in 1988, he did his first stand-up routine at an amateur night at a comedy club in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And uh, he said of Corner Gas, like the premise was kind of, he wondered what his life would be like if he had never um, done the stand-up amateur night. And after Corner Gas concluded, Brent Butt created the show Hiccups, which stars Nancy Robertson, his wife, Wanda, from Corner Gas. And in that show, uh, Nancy Robertson plays a popular children's author who has frequent episodes of extreme emotion, which she calls Hiccups. So she hires a life coach, played by Brent Butt, who is completely incompetent. <laughs> so they kept working together. After have you Corner seen Gass. that? I have not seen any. I didn't even know about it until I was looking up trivia on this. They'll look that up. Yeah, uh, the show was popular enough that Corner Gas, the movie, was released in 2014. <laughs> and it was announced late last year that an animated series is going into production and it will begin airing at the end of this year, at the end of 2017, with all of the voice cast back to do the voices for the cartoon, except for Janet Wright, who played Emma Leroy, Brent's mom. She passed away in 2016. Oh my gosh. This this is amazing trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it keeps going though. Uh, the show was very popular in Canada during its run. I read that it was the only Canadian produced show that was in the top 20 television ratings in Canada. The rest of the shows were, uh, American productions. And in the United States, WGN picked up the syndication rights for the series, but in an unusual situation for syndication, it aired season five and six simultaneously with the Canadian live airings of episodes. Usually for syndication, you wait a year after the initial broadcast. Showing a little bit more of its popularity, there was a nonfiction book called Tales from Dog River, The Complete Corner Gas Guide. That was a bestseller in Canada. And there was also a documentary made called Beyond Corner Gas, Tales from Dog River. And it, excuse me. Uh, Tales from Dog River that looked at the impact of the show. 
And it was popular enough that a number of Canadian public figures and celebrities appeared on it, including two successive prime ministers who appeared while they were still in office. <laughs> while they were in office? Yes, they did cameos on Cornwall. Oh, my gosh. And is, uh, is Dog River a real place? No, it is not. Uh, it was They filmed on location uh, in a very small town. Um, and they would change the signage around the small town while they were filming and then take it down. <laughs> Though, I guess uh, I did in that... Um, I act, the Beyond Corner Gas documentary, uh, they talk about, um, they left some of the setup and there's a security guard, uh, and people like in the production staff are like, wow, you know, oh, you must have a really hard job when we're off season, like being the security job. Uh, and they're like, oh no, we get a lot of visitors. And like, how many could you really get? And they got a, um, a log book for people to sign in when they stopped to visit. And they were getting, I think it was in, in four weeks that, I want to say it was four weeks. They had 3000 signatures and they're both wow. people that stopped by just to visit the set where they filmed quarter gas. Wow. Um, and the last bit of trivia that I saw, this is one of the things that I love when production or when TV shows can do this, which is not always popular or possible, particularly in the American television system. But the pilot was the fourth episode that they filmed so that the cast would be more comfortable with their characters when they were first introduced to audiences. So they filmed episodes two, three, four, and then went back and filmed episode one. Just so everyone be in a better groove for their uh, first for their first episode. That's a good idea. Yeah, uh, in American TV, often you get um, a pilot order and not a series order, so you got to produce the pilot. And I don't know how this is the economic system we've settled on. I mean, I know some of the history of it, but like you, there are dozens of pilots that are fully produced every year that never see the light of day and never go to a series um, in American <laughs> television. And so when you when you just get a pilot order, you just got to put the pilot together and hope it's the best thing possible for the network and Nah, it doesn't always work out. <laughs> wow. Are you ready for this uh, this synopsis? Yeah, why don't you give us the long synopsis of these two episodes? The long synopsis of both episodes is actually quite short. <laughs> <laughs> so much so, of the comedy of this comes from the exact dialogue and the exact delivery that I don't know how you summarize it. So I'm excited yes. to see what you do with this. Well, it's uh... a... <laughs> I decided to just summarize the action and not try to quote the whole thing. Um, although there, in an alternate universe, there is a different version of this uh, this summary in which I you would you could just quote the whole thing. Yeah, you just pull up um, the transcript and start. It's reading. hilarious. It's really the dialogue in this is amazing. Um, so the pilot opens. Uh, there's a man, uh, w like a shirt and tie kind of guy. Um, he stops at the corner gas station in rural Saskatchewan, Dog River, Saskatchewan. Uh, he comments that it's really flat. And uh, Brent and Hank, the attendants, make fun of this out-of-towner for his painfully obvious observation. Really, really sarcastic. Uh, and then we get uh, the opening credits. And then Brent, Hank, and Wanda uh, discuss the arrival of a new person in town. Her name is Lacey, and she's the niece of a woman named Ruby who used to run the coffee shop. Uh, and now Ruby has passed away, and Lacey has moved in from Toronto uh, to run the shop. Um, but right now it's closed while she makes some reservations, and Hank is very concerned that Lacey will turn it into a – Yes, renovations. Is that what I said? I heard reservations. No, renovations. <laughs> It's not going to be uh, enough in a small town to need reservations. No. Well, they have reservations. Hank, in particular, has reservations about Lacey. Well uh, he's afraid 
He's a af- <laughs> thank you. Uh, he's afraid that she might turn it into a snooty place, or maybe that she is a drug dealer. Uh, and in the end, they just, everybody decides that they're going to give Lacey a fair shake. Uh, but then the town newspaper publishes this uh, sensationalist piece about how Lacey is destroying a local landmark. And then we see the police officers, Karen and Davis, doing absolutely nothing because there is nothing to do in this town. Uh, then uh, Brent's dad, Oscar, who is has retired from running the corner gas uh, station, he stops by and he sees uh, Brent posting a sign saying that the station now rents videos. And Oscar is not happy about this at all because he's afraid that people will be confused about what the gas station actually is. Uh, later, he comes into the station and complains more, uh, but, uh, but his wife, Emma, Brent's mom, uh, is having none of it. She convinces Oscar to rent a movie to his – or she – yeah, she convinces Oscar to rent a movie so that he can actually have an opinion about renting movies and things. Uh, and then Brent agrees to kind of humor his parents. Uh, so then Oscar comes by and Brent rents him Jaws. And he tells him it's a movie about fishing, and um, Wanda is concerned that maybe that's a little too intense for his father. Uh, but Brent is certain that his dad will not be able to connect a VCR to his TV. <laughs> that he won't watch. He won't watch Jaws. Uh, so then Davis, the police chief, uh, uh, comes by uh, Lacey's place looking for coffee, but she won't let him in because she's in the in this uh, renovation process and she wants it to be a surprise. Uh, but she brews a pot. And gives it to the people of town outside, and everyone loves it. At the opening of the coffee shop, coffee shop, coffee shop, uh, everyone is a bit uncomfortable with the changes, um, but they treat Lacey kind of nice. So they walk in and they're like, "Oh, I don't like this." And then when Lacey shows up, they're like, "Oh, yeah, it's really nice." Um, everyone that is, except for Hank, he hates it, uh, and he decides to boycott because he doesn't like the changes that she's made to to this beloved Ruby's. Uh, coffee shop. So that night at the bar, Lacey and Brent hang out and they discuss how things went. And then uh, Oscar so- shows up and says he watched Jaws. And so Brent and Lacey start to tease him by <laughs> asking him if he liked the parts where the shark met the dinosaur um, and <laughs> where he had a sword fight with Pirate and uh, went back home to its home planet. And Oscar says he did. He did like all those parts. <laughs> um <laughs> So Hank is still mad about the coffee shop. He says it's like a gay bar or a Barbie dream house. Uh, Brent tells him not to worry because there won't be any more changes. Uh, but then Lacey says that she's made one more change and she takes him outside and she's called the new place, the Ruby and everyone, including Hank loves it because they all loved Ruby. So then the epilogue back in the shop, Brent orders a chili cheese dog, but Lacey tells him she has taken chili cheese dogs off the menu. And now Brent is boycotting the place roll and credits. Uh, so that's episode one. Is this is a sign at the end? Is it bring back the dogs? Or I can't remember. <laughs> I think so. He's holding a sign. He's picketing outside. Okay. So the next episode is Hot Tubbin. It's season six, episode six. And uh, this begins with uh, Oscar and Emma buying a hot tub. And Brent is not excited about seeing his parents in a, in a hot tub. And then the is it the mayor then? this This person? Yes. Yeah, that brings uh, he brings he brings in a mascot for the police for uh, Davis and Karen, and uh, the mascot's name is uh, Safety Pete. So it's a mascot costume. The big, uh, it's like a uh, like a chipmunk or something. Chipmunk or uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with the chipmunk. I can't remember. It face. looks like a chip, like a chipmunk, big chipmunk head, and uh, and a and a and a suit. But like a high school mascot um, level. Yeah, 
Davis is very Davis is very excited about this, and Karen is not so much excited about this. Uh, and then Hank, it turns out, has driven his truck through his own kitchen and cannot stay in his house while it's being fixed. Oscar and Emma uh, are still very excited about to, to land. I just want to make sure people are. What's that? Uh, Hank drove through his own kitchen. I just want to make sure that that sentence landed for our listeners. Yes. <laughs> He's driven he put his, his truck. truck in reverse and he didn't. He put it in drive and just floored it. And just, just floored it. Yes. Yes. Right through his own kitchen. And now he can't live in his own house. Uh, so now Oscar and Emma are still very excited about their hot tub and they're putting together a hot tub party. Meanwhile, Brent is concerned about where Hank is staying. And it turns out that, uh, Hank says he's staying with Wanda and Brent is kind of shocked by this because Wanda and Hank do not get along and Wanda's very, um, like private. And there just seems like there's no way that she would have Hank staying at her house. So Brent's, uh, suspicious. Uh, so now Lacey shows up for the hot tub party at Oscar and Emma's house, and it turns out she's the only one <laughs> that goes there uh, to the to the party. And so she kind of she climbs in the hot tub, and it's totally creepy <laughs> because Oscar and Emma are getting a little uh, frisky <laughs> in the hot tub, and uh, Lacey is she, she like can't get far enough away from them <laughs> inside the hot tub. Uh, and the next day, everyone knows about this, and everyone is totally grossed out. Uh, Davis, it turns out, was a sensation as Safety Pete with the kids at the school, um, but now he is gone, and the mayor makes Karen wear the suit, and she is even better because she does cartwheels and flips, and so everyone loves her because uh, – but, I mean, they don't know that it's her. They just think it's uh, it's Safety Pete, but they love this version of Safety Pete, and now uh, Davis is jealous. I mean, what, Davis so, was like – he was trying to coach her up about all the hand motions he can do, like hold your hand up to your ear and, and say it louder and wave your arm in a circle and they'll get really excited. Right. And uh, put your hands on your hips to, to say that you're, uh, that you're like uh, angry at them. But we don't something. see any of this new routine. The, the mayor just runs in. He's like, they love the flips. <laughs> yes. So it turns out that Hank is actually living in the gas station and Wanda ha- Wanda lets him sleep there uh, and he does her her job for her like uh, cleaning the nighttime cleaning. Um but he does a horrible job. <laughs> he actually he actually mops the floor with apple juice instead of the apple scented uh floor uh, what is that? Like cleanser. Yeah. Um but uh so Brent is totally suspicious and he drives Hank over to Wanda's house and does this inspection. Um, but it actually works out because there's a sleeping bag on the couch. So now Karen, the police officer, she's organizing a hot tub party because Oscar and Emma are going to be gone and they're going to let her use it. Uh, and Lacey wants to come, but she isn't invited because Karen thinks she's creepy because she did that um, because she went to the hot tub party with Oscar and Emma and was in the in the in the hot tub with them. And so Karen won't uh, won't invite Lacey to the party. It's time for Safety Pete to do another routine, and uh, Davis comes out, but he can't do the flips and cartwheels that Karen had done, and so everyone hates it. And so the mayor gives the, the Safety Pete job back to Karen. Uh, so now when, when Karen and her friends show up for the hot tub party, Lacey is already there in the, in the tub, and she, she tells Karen and her – it's like the popular group. They're like the popular people from Dog River. <laughs> and uh, Lacey tells them – that she has a rash, and then <laughs> she has this bottle of um, Pepto Bismol, and uh, says that she has diarrhea, uh, and so they all leave. And she Karen just goes, I "Don't want to risk that." 
Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Oscar and Emma come back, and the three of them uh, tub together. So wait, wait, now... I, I want to give one of my favorite quotes of the entire series. Uh, Oscar climbs into it and is like, ooh, Pepto-Bismol, the champagne of diarrhea medicine. <laughs> and he chugs it straight from the bottle. <laughs> uh... <clears throat> so, so now it's kind of a thing. Um, there's this weird... This is a weird thing going on between Oscar and Emma and Lacey. Oscar and Emma think that Lacey is weird. Lacey thinks that Oscar and Emma are creepy. And they say that they're going to have a party, but she's not invited. Because they um, heard that she chased everyone away so that she could hot tub with them. And they're like, that's yeah, really yeah. weird of you, Lacey. That's really weird. <laughs> so now Davis is practicing some new uh, Safety Pete routines. Um, he's, he just like so desperately wants to be a popular... Uh, safety Pete and make the kids happy, and he know that he can't, he knows that he can't do um, like athletically. He just can't do what Karen <laughs> can do, and so he's try like he starts talking and trying to come up with new bits. Uh, so now Brent has found out that Hank is staying at the gas station, and he tells him he will find a place for him to stay. And so he takes him to Wanda's house, but she doesn't know that Brent knows that Hank has been staying at the gas station. So this is really awkward. Like, um, they're hanging out there for a while, and then Wanda, like, puts Hank to bed, and and then Brent leaves, but he, he doesn't really leave. He's still watching the house, because uh, he wants to catch her. Um, so nobody shows up at Oscar and Emma's party, and they say it's a total dud. Uh, but then Lacey shows up, and Oscar and Emma invite her in. Uh, and then Wanda thinks that Brent has gone, that he stopped... Uh, um, like monitoring the house. And so she takes Hank back to the station um, so that he can sleep there. But Brent is there waiting. And, um, and so then Hank says, Oh, I'll, I'll go find i uh, I'll go find some place to stay because Brent, n- neither Brent nor Wanda want Hank to stay at their place. So Hank leaves uh, and he decides to stay at the Ruby because Lacey doesn't lock it. So then uh, back with the kids and safety Pete, uh, Davis is back in the safety Pete suit, and he tries this uh, stunt. He tries to jump off of like a gymnastics. Uh, what is that? Um, the little springboard. Like the, uh, uh, for yeah, the, the springboard. Vault. Like he's gonna jump up uh, onto uh, a balance beam or a vault, and he just crashes into it um, and <laughs> hurts his leg. And he falls and breaks character, and he just starts swearing up a storm, and it's bleeped, and uh, <laughs> it's like I mean he's really. Uh, like a like a sailor. It's, it's a and long Hank. Bleep. You just get long bleeps. You have no idea what he's actually <laughs> <It's> so great. <laughs> and then Hank pops his head out the window of the police cruiser and says, "Hey, keep it down out there. Some people are trying to sleep." And uh, that's the end of this episode. Oh, thank you, Todd, for that. Ah, uh, that's such a fun show. And again, I'm just amazed at how well they managed to balance eight characters and give them all storylines. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's um, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like for for the second one that you talked about, there's three plot lines. Which one's the A? Which one's the B? Which one's the C? I mean, I a, I think of it as the Safety Pete episode, but they really all get about equal screen time. I mean, the episode's well, called, it's called Hot Tubbin. But uh, yeah, I don't. Th- th- like I said, really good balance that they managed to give that many characters. I mean, there have been sitcoms with fewer characters that can't figure out how to give screen time to everyone. Yeah, no, oh, it's a uh, it's really well made. It's not surprising that it was so popular. Um, it's, it's just, uh, it's a great, it's a great show. Um, 
I can totally understand why you would watch this after watching Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> it's a little pal- palate cleanser emotionally. Yes. Um, my So my parents are the patrons who asked us to talk about this, and my dad said, oh, I want you to do the Safety Pete episode. So I want us to talk a little bit about Davis before we talk about some of the uh, the other themes that I've seen uh, in the show and in these these episodes, uh, the pilot and, and others. So he's played by Lauren Cardinal, and I looked up a little bit about Lauren Cardinal, and um, he is he's Cree, has Cree blood, and uh, he's First Nation uh, in in Canada. And so many things that he's done in his life, it says he's the first <laughs> member of the First Nations to have done X, Y, or Z uh, in uh, in terms of where he graduated from college, what he got his degree in, uh, and he's even putting together uh, right now the project he's working on is a documentary about. Um, there, there's a recreation of the Globe Theater that did a production of, I want to say it was King Lear with an all First Nations cast. And he's doing wow. a documentary about the behind the scenes work on that. Um, but the character of Davis, just endlessly fun for me. Uh, there's an earnestness about his character, uh, at the same time as there's this, um, I don't know if I want to call it neediness or, uh, insecurity. <laughs> Uh, it, it that that drives the comedy for him, and so much good comedy comes from um, unexpected conflict. And I love the unexpected conflict of this man who is probably, in reality, the prime authority figure in the small town as the senior police officer, who has that neediness about him. And you see it in the very first episode in the pilot when um, they're on the walkie-talkie. He and um, Karen. Karen. And she's like, car number one to car number two. He's like, oh, I'm I'm always car number one. <laughs> he's like, my car has a big number one on the side. He's like, whatever car I'm in, it's car number That's one. car number one. <laughs> uh, so you see some of that insecurity from the very beginning, and then particularly in the Safety Pete episode, like that's his, you know, his driving need to be liked as Safety Pete and to be the prime safety mascot for Dog River and to not be one-upped by by his junior officer uh, is where so much of the comedy comes from. Yeah. There's, there is this, so much of the show is just lighthearted. Um, but there is that, the one scene where he's practicing cartwheels, um, <laughs> like, like in a, behind a building or something, yeah, but you know, out, in it, the back of the police station. Yeah. Outside behind <laughs> like, the building where he's hoping no one's going to see him. And he he's practicing these things, and and, and he's practicing this new bit where it, it's like, um, like he's trying to turn Safety Pete into kind of a superhero, um, and talking, which he had said initially, you know, that's that's not part of his character. When I'm in character, uh, then Safety Pete doesn't talk, uh, but he wants to start talking again. And there's this there's this kind of um, sweet sadness <laughs> about about that, um, and. He just he's he seems like such a like a tender guy and and that was one of the questions that I had in 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 looking at Davis's character is why does he want the safety Pete why does he want to be the the successful safety Pete is it because he's car number one and he he's having a hard time accepting the fact that Karen just does this better than he does or is it because like of the kids and this kind of soft spot, the soft spot that he has for the kids and, and the joy that that brings to him to just see the kids be excited about something that he's doing. 
Uh, I don't know. Like, this is one of those shows where um, kids only magically appear when desperately needed, and otherwise there are no children in this city. <laughs> so it's not as though uh, he has a regular um, relationship with the children of the town or anything like that. So that's not a recurring aspect of his character. But this kind of um, concern about being overshadowed and the, the desire to be liked, I think, is something that's more consistent with his character. Mm-hmm. The we we certainly see that. So you you mentioned to me just late tonight um, that uh, you recommended that I watch the this the series finale. Yes. Um, and so I I did, and we get this again with Davis. Um, so just a really really quick summary is uh, it turns out that Brent uh, has started doing stand up comedy in the big city uh, one night a week. And everyone's concerned about where is he going, and then they find out that he's there, and then he actually gets an opportunity to um, to go on tour, but he decides to stay in town. That's the that's the super short summary. So everybody everybody follows Brent into town because he doesn't want to tell anybody what he's doing. He's doing stand up, and it, the stand up that he's doing is the show. I mean, is is Corner Gas. Uh, he's telling about all the funny things that happen in town, but he never mentions the police officers. And so Davis and Karen are the hurt that that they don't that they don't uh, feature in Brent's uh, routine. And so, so they keep trying to do funny things, uh, but they're but they're never funny. It's that f- like funny not funny. Um, we, we talked about this with uh, Gus. We talked about Psych. Yeah. When it's like like trying to be funny, but it's not funny, but it's funny because it's not funny, but he's trying to be funny. Um, and we get that exact same thing with uh, Karen and Davis trying to be funny, and they're not funny, and nobody laughs in the show, but we're laughing because it's funny to see them not be funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they want it so bad. They want so badly to, to, like, to belong. And Karen gets – Karen is totally uh, along with Davis in that, and she seems to be like – in the hot tub an episode, Karen seems really like she's the popular girl because she's got all the friends, and Lacey's the like the odd woman out. So it's it's this interesting like like everybody's everybody's alone. Everybody assumes that everybody else is is happy or something. Yeah, um, which is interesting. I mean, I think there is an element of uh, this series is not about character evolution in any way um it's in some ways a live action cartoon kind of like the simpsons where each episode (laughs) you could watch them all out of order and it doesn't matter because there's no major arcs or plot lines um and the the characters that you met in the uh the pilot todd i mean you've only seen three episodes right the pilot hot dubbing and and... actually i watched episode two also with the shirts okay which (laughs) it's pretty funny (laughs) is that the tax man episode that is the one where Hank and Brent oh. have match have matching okay. shirts. <laughs> I know there's one of the early episodes because I watched a couple of the early episodes, and there's one with uh, a tax man, which it shows kind of a range of comedy that this has. I mean, I'm comparing it to a, a cartoon, meaning like there's no major character arcs. Uh, you can watch them out of order, but um, one episode might have an absurd bit of physical comedy with Safety Pete, but there's an episode with a tax man who comes to town to try and look into Oscar's old tax records. And uh, someone calls him the tax man. And you get an extended through line of comedy on the episode about definite versus indefinite articles in the English language, (laughs) Um, which is not what you expect uh, in a random sitcom about a small town in, uh, in Canada. 
uh, in Saskatchewan. Uh, but I love that they will have things like linguistic comedy mixed with the, the physical comedy mixed with some of these character beats. Uh, that they have an episode that heavily features Life of Pi. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, they I, do? I, I don't yeah, remember and Colin, Colin Mockery makes a cameo appearance in that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I was going to say, with um, the way these characters are presented, or, or the way the, the series is run, sometimes uh, the characters are whatever they need for that episode. I mean, I think there's good consistency with these characters. Like, you never mix up an Oscar line with a Hank line with a Wanda line. Like, the, the, the way the comedy's pre- presented is always the same. But in the Hot Tumbling episode, they needed um, Karen to have a lot of friends. And in the finale episode, they wanted her to be kind of offended that she wasn't as cool as the other people who were featured in the stand-up right. act. Um, and they have some flexibility in that. It was the other, the secondary line in the shirt one is um, Oscar and the coffin. Oh. Oscar <laughs> building his own coffin. Oscar is really great. Oscar uh, is hilarious. Oh, Oscar is so great. that I wanted to bring this up, actually. Um, I'm pulling this up in the background, so that is why I sound a little bit distracted. But I put on our Facebook uh, fan page, I said, does anyone know Corner Gas? And if so, do you have any favorite characters or moments that you want us to talk about? And listener Ben uh, said that I appreciate that it didn't rely on a will they, won't they, aside from one um, Canadian Football League episode where Brent and Lacey, I think it's the season one finale, Brent and Lacey like, almost flirtatiously get together, but then they don't. And then it's <laughs> never really like referenced again that they might or should be together. Um, and he says, you know, it's refreshing that it didn't, you know, that it avoided that comedy trip because that drives so many sitcoms. Uh, I know. feel like in the in the in the in that last episode that I watched tonight, um, Lacey finale, kind of some of her concern could be read as a subtext of like yeah, I think there's a way of reading that where anywhere. yeah, absolutely. Um, but then uh, his other note, listener Ben said, Oscar is the best, <laughs> which he has so many great lines and just that actor's delivery is so good. One of my that's favorite the, moments. That's the thing. I can't remember what episode it's in, or I'd go rewatch it right now, but there's a moment where he and his wife, who have this kind of adversarial old married couple relationship, uh, they're driving somewhere, and she leans in, because they're like a little more uh, close than we typically see, and she leans in and rests her head on his shoulder, and he just jerks his head back and says, are you trying to headbutt me? <laughs> While he's driving <laughs> the car. <laughs> I, um... I... So I was trying to compare uh, Oscar and Emma to Frank and Marie Barone in uh, Everybody, Everybody Loves Raymond. And we talked about their relationship and how it was like emotionally, almost like emotionally abusive, the way that Frank treats uh, Marie Yes. In, in Everybody Loves Raymond. And there is something of that kind of crotchety... Uh, crotchety old man who isn't really great to his wife and she's kind of just tired of him and there's jokes about when he when he's making the coffin in episode two um she's making all kinds of jokes about him dying and how happy she would be uh but for some reason in this in this series it didn't it didn't rub me uh the wrong way like like the barones sometimes do like it always seemed like they really do care about each other, and I don't know. Maybe it was because she. Well, I don't know, because because Marie Barone, she can dish it out to to Frank. I don't know. What do you What do you think is the difference between I, these? As couples? soon as you start down this path, I'm like, he's gonna ask me, and I don't have an answer, but I have the exact same reaction you do, <laughs> where 
uh, there's a discomfort in watching the Barones on Everybody Love Raymond that I never really get with Corner Gas. And I wonder if some of it is, I mean, I think I've said this in several episodes lately, but there's an issue of the tone and yeah, uh, maybe the editing that makes this a little more removed from real life versus the classic three camera sitcom where things are being played out as almost a one act play in front of you. Whereas this, there's a higher uh, reliance on the cuts and you're more aware of the artificiality because of so many um, production tricks that are being used in telling the story again, versus a classic three camera sitcom which, like I said, can play out more like a play in front of you. That's interesting. Um, so I'm thinking of, of one kind of sequence of events in particular that I think highlights maybe what we're getting at here. So there, the kind of all the, the group is in the, in the coffee shop, and Hank says, I'm going to boycott this place. I have two words, boycott. <laughs> and, uh, and, he's, and then uh, how's it Brent that says, if you – he said, "I'm going to put this place oh. out of business." And he said, "If you could put a place out of business by not by, by not using what they service. sell, yeah, uh, then how can I still buy mouthwash?" And then everybody starts going around in the circle, uh, and the, yeah, and toenail clippers and pants that fit and deodorant, <laughs> and, and then um, shampoo, <laughs> and then Oscar says, "And pickup trucks," and then Emma looks at him and she goes, "You have no idea what we're doing, do you?" And then he's just like, like this kind of awkward look on his face. And then later, um, he's trying to connect the VCR, and he's taking the TV apart to try, to try to connect the cables of the VCR. And Emma comes in and she says, uh, "You know, like there's a there's a red cable and a white cable and a yellow cable on the VCR, and in the TV, there's a red hole, a yellow hole, and a white hole, and you just plug." You know, red into red, yellow into yellow, and white into white. And he says, "Oh, this must be one of those Japanese models." And with the, you know, he's like trying to save face with her. And then she says something like, "I swear you're getting dumber," <laughs> which is which seems really harsh, but she kind of is. She's kind of like laughing about it. And then he says something like, "No, I'm not dumb." And then she says, "Pickup trucks." And he goes, I didn't know what you guys were doing or something like that. But the but the way that she's doing it is like they're kind of laughing together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I ever see the Barones laughing together about almost anything. They're always in like attack mode. Right. And here there was this there was this moment of like tenderness between them and her realizing my husband is getting really old and and he's maybe kind of losing it and being able to kind of laugh about that and him recognizing kind of the same thing. And it's all really, really subtle, but I think it creates a different tone in their relationship that for me works uh, really well. Yeah. And I agree. It's on paper. It seems like the same thing. And I, I, I think it's a combination of subtle performance things, but also I, I do think there's something in that, uh, the editing and everything makes you much more aware that you're watching a TV show and you're, and this is not supposed to be representative in any way of your life. Whereas everybody loves Raymond. You're, you know, it's, it's clearly a sitcom. I'm not saying it's not a sitcom, but something about that three camera setup and just having, um, very minimalist and unintrusive editing makes it feel like you're looking on a real family more than you're watching a heavily produced TV show. And I think that <sighs> some of that distance, of 
this hyper awareness of the artificiality of of corner gas allows some of the uh, terser <laughs> exchanges uh, to be laughed at with a little more comfort than the feeling that you're watching a real married couple having it out in their living room. That's it's interesting that you that you read it that way. I I I absolutely agree with the. The, the your like stylistic analysis of these two things i i feel like when i'm watching oscar and emma i feel like that that relationship feels more authentic to me than the relationship between frank and marie barone oh that's interesting i i have an additional theory and it also might um bring up a, another tangent that you won't want to go down <laughs> um but it has to do with gender dynamics uh-huh. Because for the Barones, um, Frank and Marie, she's more typically the victim of her own stupidity, um, or or that's how they couch the jokes. Where in this case, um, Oscar is the victim of his own stupidity uh-huh. more often, and so she is, you know, punching down towards him instead of a man punching down towards a woman for a joke. That we we so we would feel more comfortable seeing a woman. Uh, in a, attack, in a, attack them, attack the man. Then we are seeing a man attack a woman. Yes, but that also brings in the the thing that you guys discussed for dinosaurs, where you talked about like the bumbling father, mm-hmm. and how that's not quite satisfactory either. But somehow this is not quite that dissatisfactory to have the bumbling father figure. Oh, I think part um, of the reason this one, it's less, it feels less problematic is because there's so many characters. It's not the emphasis of the plot lines for, you know, multiple episodes in a row ever. And but he's pretty, like, pretty consistently the, like, dumb, bumbling dad. Like, he never gets it. There's right, an episode but he, where but there's, he's, there's an episode where he's having a feud with the liquor store slash lawyer um, <laughs> insurance in, in town. Yeah. Um and because he, he won't take the empty bottles back. And so he decides he's going to brew his own liquor. And so he like, <laughs> he like puts some stuff in a plastic empty soda bottle and he sets it outside. And when they get to dinner, he's like, yeah, it's been sitting outside all afternoon. <laughs> and he's about to serve his, his Oscar brew. <laughs> oh, I, and, I'm not going to say that he's ever like the radiant beacon of intelligence on the show. <laughs> Okay, but it it doesn't hit the bell too often. Right, and there's so many plot lines that happen in every episode and so many characters that get serviced that it doesn't feel like, whereas in the 90s, it felt like so many sitcoms, the only inciting incident for so many plot lines was just the dad being an idiot and the long-suffering wife putting up with him. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, there are... I don't know exactly why it why it works. I mean, I can't point to all of the reasons why it does. I think that there are probably several or or more yeah where, where reasons it, where they all kind of come together to create a situation where i just don't cringe as much as i do watching other shows well and and in hot tub and they almost don't have any moments of um them being adversaries to each other no yeah no they're they're that totally one, that one's totally affectionate right i mean it's it, to the point of being creepy right yes <laughs> yeah and so so that's interesting that you don't even feel like that episode is unusual to have them be like just completely comfortable with each other, affectionate and united um, in their 
in their position in the storyline where like in everybody's loves Raymond, you do you ever have an episode that they're just like, yeah, we're fine with each other right now. Like we don't have any animosity, no jokes at at the other's expense. I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen all of this show and I haven't seen all of every, everybody loves Raymond. Um, I do think that there is a sweetness in the relationship that they have with each other. Um, in which, I mean, it's it's established season one, episode one, act one, scene one, <laughs> that this show is about sarcasm and that all of these people are, I mean, there, there is this, that's the, that's one of the big tent poles of humor. And there, there is physical humor and there, there's, uh, there are other things going on, but sarcasm is a big part of it. Um, and so it's not, it's not surprising then to see characters being sarcastic with each other. Um, but they also are able to laugh with each other in a way that, um, I feel like everybody loves Raymond. Like they never take the foot off the gas. Hmm. And, and in this show they do. And there is, there is sarcasm and there are, um, those like pretty blunt kind of biting remarks from Emma towards Oscar. Like, I swear you're getting dumber, you know, <laughs> like that's pretty, uh, but, but she, the way that she says it, the way that she delivers that line with, um, is with this kind of sweetness and like, I, I still love you despite that, um, that I don't know, it just works for me. I really like it. I was not anticipating talking this much about this tonight, but, uh, but I think it's such an interesting uh, counterpoint to what we've seen in other shows. Yeah. Um, I, a couple of things that I also want to make sure and, I guess since we just were back at the hot, hot tub and episode and that storyline with um, Oscar and Emma, there's somehow the show rides this line of being clean, but having hints at transgressive comedy and, <laughs> oh, and both yes. with the hot tubbing and then with safety Pete, you know, swearing up a storm, but it's all bleeped. So you don't hear a single thing that he says. Uh, you, you just see the kids faces go shocked and you hear me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and in some ways, that hinting at transgression is funnier than actual transgression. I think there's another episode where um, there's a windstorm and the sign, the cafe sign, like there's this giant block letter cafe on the top of Ruby's cafe and the F and the E get blown off. <laughs> and there's this running joke <laughs> of people say like, has anyone seen the F and E? And everyone like looking shocked <laughs> at her. <laughs> and uh, there's even a, like, there's a cut scene of, uh, Brent and Wanda standing outside as they go blowing by and Brent just says, did you see that? And she goes, what the F? <laughs> and you see the F <laughs> tumbling down the street. <laughs> um, but this like this coy toying with transgressive humor, but never actually crossing any lines. It, it can be um, hilarious I, in a way that just going there in the raw way that some comedy does and some comedians do. And they're very successful comedians that do just do straight transgressive humor and go all the way and say everything. Um, but for me, this like playing with it, but never actually going there is funnier. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds me of our conversation about Pitch Perfect, and in that it's <laughs> on one level like surprisingly chaste, uh, given the amount of what what did we call it? innuendo and <laughs> it's like uh, outuendo <laughs> or something, right? <laughs> like the the opposite of innuendo. Um, in that, it, but that show feels like kind of. I don't want to, I mean, it's not, 
It's edgier than Corner Gas for sure. Yeah, it's certainly edgier than Corner Gas. Uh, Corner Gas is like many orders of magnitude removed (laughs) from something like Pitch Perfect or something like um, uh, How I Met Your Mother or something like that. Uh, And I mean, I would have no issue watching this with with my kids. Any any attempt at like any hint at any sort of adult humor is gonna go so far over their heads that they're not gonna understand anything, uh, and everything else is just like good, clean fun, um, and it's just a uh, I don't know. I, it's it is interesting how uh, it's almost like w- w- with Hitchcock where you don't show it and that's what makes it scar- scarier. It's like here, if you just barely hint at it, it makes it way funnier. Um, it it, it kind of reminds me of uh, a podcast called The Bugle, which originally had John Oliver, who now has a very successful HBO show um, skewering current events called Last Week Tonight. He's a British comedian. Um, but on The Bugle, he and another British comedian would talk about the last week of news, and they would always bleep out their biggest swear words. And... Occasionally, a viewer or a listener would write in and say, "Why do you believe it?" And they'd actually talk about this on air. And at one point, I think they even did a listener poll. But they started to do a listener poll, and the John Oliver's like, "No, you know, it's funnier when we bleep it. It's just funnier to hear that bleep instead of what we're actually saying." <laughs> it's uh, in some ways, it's like the gutter um, in comics, right? Where what what whatever you fill in is going to be funnier than whatever they could put there. Yeah. Um, it it also allows for um like when uh when davis when davis jumps off the the springboard and into the vault <laughs> in his safety feet <laughs> he's, he's rolling around on the ground in his safety feet thing and he's like gosh darn it and then and then you hear the first beep <laughs> like a 3 a 3 year old can watch that and th- and they'll, you know, like they'll fill it in with whatever they want to fill it in with, and I mean, it's it leaves it leaves it all to everyone's imagination, which is, uh, I think, in this case, it, certainly better. Um, Just one of the little kids really yelling, great. "Safety peak and talk," and the dad goes, "What is the dad? Say? Does he ever? <laughs> Does he ever?" <laughs> oh man. Oh, that is really it's funny that you guys see that as the as like the a storyline in uh in that episode because i i had not read it like that i would not have i thought that you guys wanted to talk about hot tubbing not about safety pete uh, but although safety pete is really funny in that episode um, um real quick you had mentioned uh i've, I've got two thoughts i want to get to before you you mentioned uh how i met your mother offhandedly uh in the earlier conversation i just think it's worth noting that like this heavily episodic uh, and not based on like a show's grand mythology or the, you know, the, the grand arcs of any story characters. I love some of those shows. Like I love lost and I think there's a place for those. And I think television has leaned heavily in that direction in the last decade um, with lost with shows like breaking bad, where it's like, you must watch every single episode and you must watch them in order. I think there's something pleasant to have, the kind of show that you can just pull one up and it doesn't matter where it is in the run or if you came across it, it doesn't matter at all. I think there's maybe we've gone too far into the, <laughs> into the massive overarching storyline version of storytelling. And I think we'll probably see a bounce back at some point soon to these um, self-contained kind of uh, 
uh, episodes where it's just pleasant to go spend some time with these characters that you enjoy. And it doesn't matter if, you know, character A is together with character B or if character C knows what character A did or any of those other things. I feel like Kimmy Schmidt is kind of in that vein, which is a like a wildly popular, you know, Netflix mm-hmm. sitcom. It does have a there is a there is a, a storyline, but it's more episodic than other stuff that we that we get. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this pendulum swing back. It always I think, tends to. I think so often. <laughs> I think so often in in uh, in art in culture we see when when you're in when you're in the moment like riding a wave it just feels like that wave is going to go on forever um but if you look at the history of culture um it tends to just kind of swing back and forth and somebody will take an idea and a generation will take that idea to its extreme and then the next generation will say yeah that was cool but it went way too far and they'll pull it back in another direction and then they'll take it to it. It's extreme. And then somebody else will go, no, that was a little too far and pull it back. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see us move back towards uh, something more episodic that you can just dip into and to not have to feel like you have to watch every episode of every show that comes out. Right. Uh, final thing that I wanted to say, I had suggested to you that you might want to watch the finale before we recorded. That's one of the episodes I just went back and rewatched in preparation for this. And I had never noticed before what a great bookend it is to the pilot. Yeah. So the pilot is about this fear of the city changing because this woman is coming from the big city into Dog River and taking over, um, the coffee shop that she's going to rename the Ruby. And everyone is hyper-concerned. I mean, especially Hank, but everyone is concerned about this change that's coming to their small town. And there's this idea of... Well, she paints the walls pink, and she and she puts uh, salt shakers and pepper shakers that you can't see through. Yeah, how are you going to know which one's which, as Hank says, when, <laughs> when they're not clear? Um, Take a leap of faith. <laughs> and then the finale is about Brent disappearing every Wednesday, and there's this little mystery at the beginning of what does he do every Wednesday night, and then they find out he is going from Dog River to the big city, uh, and there's this fear that the city's going to change because the small town boy is going to leave the small town um, for the big city. And I love this theme of the fear of change um, and this desire to preserve what is known, to preserve the sameness. And of all the characters, this is actually Oscar who gets this really interesting monologue in the finale. Yes. Because um, his wife is, doesn't want Brent to leave. It's her son, right? You know, she, she is trying to cling <laughs> to him staying close by. And she says at this point in his life, he should be settled. Like we are like, he should be settled down. He doesn't need to be going off and having crazy adventures. And Hank says, why the hell settle? I'm a paperboy one week. You teach piano the next. The next week, Lacey's a hockey coach. And all those are episodes that have happened in <laughs> Quarter Gas. Wanda's a real estate agent. Hank's an accountant. The cops have a radio show. We all try new things. Which is a commentary both on the show itself, which has mm-hmm. absurd plot lines that happen from week to week and that have no, you know, don't carry on. So he's only a paperboy for one week. They only have a radio show for one week, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's also a commentary on... Uh, the life, you know, that that being settled doesn't mean that it's going to be monotony. Being settled doesn't mean that uh, you don't have adventures anymore. And being settled into Dog River doesn't mean that, you know, you can't go try life as a stand-up routine uh, or as a stand-up comic for a little bit, which is exactly what Brent says. 
uh, like they, everyone knows he has this offer to go on a national tour. So they throw him a going away party and he walks in and to the going away party. He's like, I told them, no, he's like, I have everything I want right here. I just wanted to try being a stand up comic. It's on like my life to do list of things I want to try. The next thing on my list is wrestling a bear <laughs> and fly fishing in the Yukon. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I can do those at the same time. Uh, but I, I think just... this idea is fascinating. Yeah. This, uh, um, I like uh, sometimes I think about the terms like liberal and conservative and what they mean. Um, and that conservatism is this idea of you want to conserve something, right? <laughs> and liberalism is that you want to change stuff. And I think that everybody it, deep down has a certain level of conservatism and a certain level of liberalism. I mean, it would be, I think we would all be hard pressed to find somebody who thinks that there's nothing worth changing. And we would also be hard-pressed to find somebody who thinks that everything must be changed. And I think it's uh, this this final episode of this. And the, the whole show is kind of an exploration of that. Like, what is it... What is it that we that we want to change? What is it we can change? Um, what would we rather not change? I think that most people have a way of life, and it, it's hard. It's really hard to change a way of life. But inside of that, what is it? You know, how, what do you explore? Um, what kind of courage does it take to to change to make big big changes? Um, I don't know. I think, I think it's fascinating <laughs> and, uh, I, and it is, it is a really great, um, they are great bookends. Yeah. That I, it clearly, once, once I realized I'm like, Oh, they knew what they were doing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to just invert, you know, invert, which, you know, the character that's going from point A to B and, but still have the same fears playing out. And I think that fear is so real. Uh, the fear of, of disruption and change. Uh, but I, I mean, at the same time, I think it's, really intelligent to say daily life is still disruption. <laughs> like whatever it is you think isn't being disrupted. Think back on the last year of your life and right. you think it's settled, but think of everything that's changed and, and how much has altered. And there's this kind of fun, absurd sitcom tone to it all. But I think they're saying something pretty profound there. Yeah. Well, we talked about this um, when we, when we discussed uh, astonishing X-Men and that amazing quote by Kitty pride about how life you think that life is going to settle down and then you realize that life is the storm. <laughs> like life is this, this whirlwind. Uh, and if you ever, um, what'd you say? If you ever catch that like happiness, then you just have to grab onto it cause it's here and then it's gone. Like life is just dynamic. Uh, and there's always stuff going on. And then we also had this conversation when we discussed dinosaurs. Uh-huh. So at the beginning he's like, I'm so happy. I'm so content. And then and then he sees the Fernhill mug on TV, and then he doesn't. He doesn't. He's not content with his life because how could you possibly be happy if you don't have a Fernhill mug? And then he gets the Fernhill mug, and then he loses everything. His life becomes almost like more chaotic, but it also, I mean, because there's more stuff going on. Because he has a Fernhill mug, and so he has to get a security system. And then he loses his friends, and it seems like there's a lot going on. But in the end, he's like alone in his house. And the calendar's ticking off. And that seems like monotony to me. And and when I think about 
you know, life, just, just the day to day, like you wake up, you go to work, you come home. There seems to be like a, a, a kind of monotony to that. But at the same time, if you look at any given day, no day looks like the next. There's always something going on. Like, like, like the song, like the corner gas. Song right. Says. So the corner gas um, song says at the beginning or, uh, while it plays over the, the cast, it says, you think there's not a lot going on, but look closer, baby. You're so wrong. And that's why you can stay so long where there's not a lot going on. Right. And so, um, I just, I think it's interesting to think about on the one hand, when you, when you live this fast paced life and it seems so exciting, um, you're in the big city or you get a Fern Hill mug <laughs> and then your life is turned upside down and it's, it's all so exciting, but emotionally it's like emotionally monotonous. Uh, and then you can also sort of flip that around and you can look at, um, just daily life, like whatever your daily, like the daily grind is where you wake up. Um, you go to work, you go to school, you take care of kids, uh, and then like family separates, family comes back together, <laughs> or this this like daily repeated hero's journey where you have departure and return, and then you wake up again the next day and you have departure, you go on an adventure and you come home, and there's something monotonous in the action of that, but if you look at any, any given day, you'll notice that no one day looks like the next. And also emotionally, um, that kind of life can be incredibly rich and far deeper and more exciting than a fast-paced uh, life that's that can be kind of emotionally empty. Um, and I, th- I think it's interesting. <laughs> like you get you get ten eight people together in this tiny little town, and it's fascinating to just follow them. And see all the f- funny, silly, dramatic things that happen to them over the course of a few years, um, and that's that's life. And life is exciting, even in its even in its like dullest, most sleepy town. Uh, it's exciting and fun to watch. Yep, I uh, completely agree with that. And just noticing that about the uh, beginning and end, and the way that they played with it, made me spot a theme in the show that I hadn't really thought about. Um. But I think it probably runs through a lot more episodes than I than I noticed. <laughs> um, final thoughts from a couple of listeners. Just I want to acknowledge that listener Daniel, listener Alex, uh, listener John, listener Brandon had all chimed in on our Facebook page, and Daniel specifically said that he loves an episode where uh, Lacey tries to te- uh, coach a hockey team, which is season one, episode twelve. And there's one where Wanda gets pink eye. Well, I think it's Hank gets pink eye first. I remember this one. It's treated like a zombie <laughs> outbreak. <laughs> They're like locking them outside of the gas station when they have pink eye. And the ones oh that haven't gosh. gotten pink eye yet are the survivors. And then it starts spreading. Um, <laughs> oh, but there's a moment where Wanda gets inside the gas station with the pink eye. And she starts rubbing her face on the counter. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll infect everyone. <laughs> Uh, That's amazing, and doubly so because we just had pink eye in our house last week. <laughs> that one is season five, episode fourteen. And listener Daniel also said that he thinks the show is a little bit like Community, where it's more about putting characters in weird situations than watching them grow and evolve and change. And I, I think all these characters have distinct voices, and they are very um, established and, and rounded out as to like who these characters are and how you'd expect them to react in these situations. But it is a show that is geared more around 
uh, like you said, plot uh, from one episode to the next than um, these massive character transformations and evolutions. Well, even even at the very end, when you think that you're going to get a big transformation, I mean, uh, Brent leaving town and going on tour, that would be that would be quite a, a change. And in the end, he says, "I wasn't going to leave." <laughs> like, like, don't worry. Nothing is nothing is going to change. Yeah. Um. And he and then and then at the very very end in the end credits, it goes through and does this like historical. This is what this is what happened with all of these people, and they're all exactly the same. Yeah. Nobody's changed at all. Uh, Wanda goes and gets a PhD and like leverages that to phys- hire the minimum wage physics. Pay. Yeah. <laughs> she she gets a PhD in like astrophysics or something. And then leverage uses her PhD to leverage uh, her pay, so she's getting better than minimum wage at the gas station. Right. So the, the finale and uh, doing like at the end of a a movie that's about real people, and it tells what happens at the end of their lives, that kind of thing. Yeah, at the end of Rudy, and it says this guy went on to play at this school, and this person is now a president of such and such company, um, and this is like Lacey opened another coffee shop in another town. Uh, but then it got closed. It got closed because the health <laughs> because of the health because of like health violations. And Hank never got a job. And <laughs> he's awesomely unemployed. I think it's hell. He's awesomely unemployed. Yeah, I mean, it's just there. the 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 show ends telling you, "Don't worry, all of these people are exactly the same," which is which is kind of comforting on a level um, where the world seems to be changing so fast. To think, no, the corner gas people—they're all still there doing their thing. And again, I think it's um, th- there's a place for that kind of entertainment where you can just go revisit your friends and they're locked into the same dynamic that they've always been. Um, and I, 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 I love shows like uh, Frasier has a massive overarching plot line about Niles and Daphne, and the that's a will they won't they that drives a decade <laughs> of of the show <laughs> and how it transforms. You know when they do get together. And there's none of that in this. And you can watch any episode from any season and just, just enjoy it. It's like I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. And 50 years from now, you can go back and dip from that well and go, ah, that was really, really fun. And uh, last listener, John, uh, said that he enjoyed the pseudo-philosophical statements of Hank. And Hank does, <laughs> like, try and wax philosophical, but he's not really saying anything. Or what he's saying is really stupid, but he, he pauses and looks off in the distance. <laughs> It says something, and it's it's all. Uh, Hank's amazing. Oh, he's so good. Hank is amazing. They're all, all of these characters in just three episodes. I feel like, um, like I know them, and and I'd be happy to go back and and watch more of this. It was really fun. And it's, uh, I will say, it is also a great. I'd probably even on a first run, it's a great background show because you're not worried about like missing massive character developments or, you know, how did this happen? So if you're like, you can have it on on, while you're cleaning, you know, folding laundry, you can have it on while you're, uh, you know, doing mindless entering stuff onto computers, any of those things. This is a great show for that. Uh, All right. Any final thoughts, Todd? All right. I think that is going to end this episode. Thank you for joining us. And please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes. And please leave us a review. We are sending gratitude to everyone who has left us a review. And to anyone who has not, I'm just going to send out some nagging guilt about enjoying so many hours of our show, but never leaving that review on iTunes. And I just (laughs) hope that eats away a little bit at you until you do. 
If you are a new listener, uh, just a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode number 13. So our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. Uh, but you might want to go and check out episode number 110, in which we talk about Earl Sinclair from Dinosaurs, or episode number 45, when we talk about Marie Barone in Everybody Loves Raymond. We mentioned both those episodes uh, in this podcast. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com, and you can also find a list of all of our old shows there. You can su- suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. Or you can go visit our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners. And we'd love for any feedback that you have to be provided there. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation. Or click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks like regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but you get a, we get a small kickback, not you. We get a small kickback uh, from Amazon for any purchases that are made through uh, protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. You, uh, you remember this conversation that we had? Yes. I was just trying to pull up something online, and so I was only half listening, because I'm trying to pull up the lyrics <laughs> to Corner Gas, because the Corner Gas uh, theme song lyrics address this. But...